Good afternoon, church family. Uh, it is a pleasure to be uh, up here again, bringing the word uh, to you. Um, boy, my heart is full from singing such great songs about Jesus and praying for the nations. I just, we've, we've done enough, haven't we? Um, it feels so good to sing songs about Jesus, to remember the gospel, um, and to week after week submit ourselves to the faithful preaching of God's word, to submit our hearts and our lives to God's word. Um, so our text today, as Josh mentioned, is found in Proverbs chapter 30, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. This is uh, a prayer of a man named Agur. We don't know much about Agur, but it's, it's a distinct shift uh, from the preceding chapters of Proverbs. Um, this is a message, just right off the bat, that I am preaching to myself. This is a message I need to hear. Um, I'm so aware of that today. I need this, and I know that we all need this. So uh, let me begin just by briefly, briefly praying one more time. Lord, we do pray for open hearts and open eyes to see glorious things from your word. We pray that your word would speak loudly to our hearts and we would be changed to be more like our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. There is a war raging today. There is a war raging every day. And you may not see it depicted in the news, but you feel it. It won't be posted on your social media feed, for sure. But it's a war taking place in your heart every day, and maybe even this very moment. This is a war to love and treasure God above the gifts that he gives. It's a war to love and treasure God above the gifts that he gives. Here's where we're going today in Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. I want us to see uh, what, what I think is here in the text, three battles, three battlefronts, if you were, um, that are part of this ongoing war of our hearts. Three battlefronts, we just want to take them one at a time, just kind of flows from verse 7 to 8 to 9. Nothing fancy. But verse 7, let's start there. Proverbs chapter 30, this is a prayer of Agur. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. So Agur has two requests for the Lord. Two requests. He has his own death in view, so we could really say that this is Agur's life goal. And if you were to ask the Lord for two things before you die, what would they be? If I'm honest, it probably wouldn't be what Agur prays for. He's pleading to the Lord. He doesn't want to go to his grave not receiving these two things, these two requests. He says, don't deny them to me. Don't withhold these things that I'm asking from you. And then we get to his first request 
found in verse 8. And this is our first battlefront. Let me read verse 8 for us. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. So battlefront number one. This is the battle to believe truth over lies. Verse 8 Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Agar wants truth and honesty. He's sick of the lies. He says, remove them far from me. Not take them away just a little bit. Stay close so I can dip in occasionally. No. The implication of his request is that he doesn't want to be lied to and he doesn't want to lie. The lies he recognizes very well are not just out there, somewhere out there in the world. No, but they are also in here. He sees himself as part of the problem and asks the Lord to deliver him from a world of deceit and from himself. He is suspicious of his own heart. He's suspicious of his own heart. He says earlier in chapter 30, that he takes no confidence in himself. Starting in verse 1, I am weary, O God, I am weary. I am worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom. Okay, so typically if you want someone to listen to you, to what you have to say, (laughs) you don't say that you're stupid. You don't say you don't know anything. You have not learned wisdom. It's not how you build a case for yourself, generally speaking. But he goes on to say, every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. So we know he's distrustful of himself, but he's confident in God's word. And I like that kind of guy. That's the type of guy I want to be. Distrustful of my own heart, confident in God's word. He's taking no confidence in his power of discernment to discern between truth and lies. He doesn't want to buy the false claims around him and he doesn't want to sell them. Agar's world and Agar's heart are like ours. Falsehood is so much the air we breathe in our culture, isn't it? We face deceit almost at every turn. Those who would call good evil and evil good. Messages that distort or flat out deny the truth of God's word. A world that promises happiness and satisfaction, but can only ever disappoint us. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. He believed the lie that the world was selling. That his happiness is found doing his own thing being true to his self, living his own life free from rules, responsibilities, obligations, instead of under his father's loving care. He bought into the lie of the world. So much he spends all that he has. Every penny on making his dream a reality. But as we know, that familiar story, it ultimately disappoints him and leaves him in the dirt. 
The things of this world never satisfy. It can never deliver on its promises. The enemy of our soul is after us. Satan, who we know as the father of lies. He's cunning. He's a cunning lion seeking someone to devour. His lies can often be subtle and imperceptible. And the truth is, his standards are so low. Just take anything. If you love anything more than Jesus, he's winning the battle for your heart. Even the good gifts that God gives, if only they eclipse Jesus in your heart, you have bought into the lies of the enemy. As long as the chasm between you and Jesus grows bigger and bigger, and Jesus just becomes smaller and smaller. And how does Satan do this? How are our hearts prone to grow distant from the Lord? How is this battle being played out in our lives? Well, I think Agur is on to something here. His first request of remove falsehood and lying far from me leads into the second battlefront, also found in verse 8. And this is the battle to trust God over self. To trust God over self. Middle of verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Man, that is some prayer. How about that for a life goal? Lord, make it so that I never go broke and I never get rich. Give me middle-of-the-road finances. Lord, bless me so that I would live month to month, paycheck to paycheck. Give me only what I need, nothing more and nothing less. Doesn't this sound insane to our modern ears? To our westernized, American, wealth and prosperity way of living, it's insane. Who prays that? We can understand not wanting to be in poverty, but not wanting more wealth goes completely against the American dream. Now, let me give just two brief comments on what Proverbs teaches about acquiring wealth and uh, how we handle our wealth. Just two very brief comments. Uh, No one verse in the book of Proverbs will ever be able to say everything there is on one topic. Okay, That's That's just a truism. We need to take that as true. And this is true with money. There are many Proverbs regarding money and how we should think and handle money. And many of them are, I would say, in tension with one another. Not contradictory, but in tension with one another. But all of them are true. All of them are God's wisdom for us. So if you are diligent and you are a hard worker, chances are, most likely, you will acquire wealth. If you are lazy, disengaged, and not a hard worker, most likely poverty will come upon you like an armed robber. But that's not always the way it works. We do live in a broken world. People who work hard and are honest and are diligent 
often don't have lots of wealth. And we see the wicked prospering, those who are lazy. How did, how did he get there? We live in a broken world, but we do hold to the truths of what God says in Proverbs regarding wealth. Okay. Um, and also, number two, that was number one. Second comment here is, generally speaking, Proverbs is actually very favorable towards wealth. It's not demeaning those who are wealthy. It doesn't ask the rich to repent of their riches. But it does say clearly, as, as well as many other places in the Bible, that there are dangers and temptations that come with great wealth. Okay, two brief comments over. There is a battle to trust in your wealth and not in God for your daily provision. So, Agur's request continues, feed me with the food that is needful for me. Agur prays these words, but as we should hear very clearly, he's not the only person who has prayed those words in Scripture. Our Savior prayed these words, give us this day our daily bread in the Lord's Prayer. And he gave that to us as a model for how we ought to pray. Asking God to supply the needs of the moment, to supply our daily bread, is an act of trusting in our Father's love and care. This is the battle. Trusting in God or trusting in ourselves. The Heidelberg Catechism, I love the Heidelberg Catechism, by the way, helps us, and it says this, it should be on the screen, give us This day our daily bread means provide for all our physical needs so that we may recognize that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our care and work nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. Therefore, may we withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it in you alone. Give us our daily bread. Feed me with the food that is needful for me is a prayer of abandoning any trust in ourselves or any other creature and placing it firmly into the hands of our loving Father who cares for us and longs to meet our needs. Now, through the eyes of the American dream, a prayer like this sounds odd. It sounds off kilter. It's, it's a bit underwhelming. It's pretty small. It makes no sense according to the American dream. This prayer, this prayer of Agur, only makes sense to the one who sees danger ahead. Danger with poverty and danger with prosperity. He knows how great the temptation is on both sides. This brings us to the third battlefront, which we find in verse 9. Verse 9, Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So Agur prays, give me neither poverty nor riches, 
Feed me with what, with what is needful for me because of this, because of this danger he sees. Verse 9 is such a convicting verse for me. This is a verse with pinpoint accuracy on the, on the human condition. Sinful humanity for generations and millennia have used God for his gifts. We think of Romans 1. We worship the creation rather than the creator. We use his generosity. It's been taken advantage of. God has been denied and forgotten over and over and over. Agur knows his own heart enough to know that that could happen to him. He knows the danger on either side. He knows if he was prosperous, the temptation is to deny God, forget him. If he was in poverty, he would profane the name of God by taking matters into his own hand and taking what is not his. Breaking God's law. These are real temptations. Real temptations. For us here today, in our context, we're in America. We're in the west suburbs of Chicago. I think our temptation is far and away a temptation to forget God in, because of our prosperity. Rather than profane the name of God by stealing. That is a temptation that's real. But I think for us today, it is far and away more likely that we would forget God in our prosperity. If we were in a different context, that, that application would be a lot different. It's true, there is a dark side to prosperity. Now remember what I said. Proverbs does not condemn wealth. It's not asking for a rich person to repent of their riches. But there is a dark side to prosperity. The truth is we have the capacity to do awful things with money. But the dark side of prosperity is not found primarily in what you do with your wealth, but who you forget because of it. How awful it would be to enjoy the blessing of wealth while denying the one who gave it to you. This problem is as old as humanity itself. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy 8. Listen to the crazy blessing the Lord gives to the people of Israel. And then listen to his warning. Deuteronomy 8, this is verses 7 through 19. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. 
Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Now, I don't have fig trees or olive trees. I don't have hills that I can dig copper out of. I don't have herds. I don't have flocks. Sometimes I wish I did, but that's another story. But that Deuteronomy 8, that feels like it could have been written for me today. That could have been written about me today. Take heed, Matt Vent, lest in your multiplied, abundant blessings of the Lord on your life, you forget the Lord and think you did it all yourself. It's convicting. Such a danger. In my own heart, I feel it. The great battle for me, and I think for you, is that we would love our life in this world. And we would forget about the Lord. We would forget about eternity. That we would love the same toys so much that the world loves that we would start thinking of our luxuries as needs, fighting for them, working hard for them. My great danger is to love my life in this world over eternity, that I would be, my great danger is that I would be so comfortable in this earthly home that I forget my heavenly one. So this battle, this battle between Calling earth home versus calling heaven home is, is a real battle waging in our hearts. In Randy Alcorn's little book, The Treasure Principle, I highly, highly recommend it. If you sat down, it, you could read it in one hour's time and it could change your life. In Randy Alcorn's book, he recounts this story. The streets of Cairo were hot and dusty. Pat and Raquel Thurman took us down an alley. We drove past Arabic signs to a gate that opened to a plot of overgrown grass. It was a graveyard for American missionaries. As my family and I followed, Pat pointed to a sun-scorched tombstone that read, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Borden, a Yale graduate, an heir to great wealth rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims, refusing even to buy himself a car. 
Borden gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. Randy Alcorn continues, I dusted off the epitaph on Borden's grave. After describing his love and sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for Muslim people, the inscription ended with a phrase I've never forgotten. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. What radical generosity, what radical choice to say heaven is my home and this world is not. Are you living a life that is so that is easily explainable to the world? Are you living a life that is easily explainable to the world? If this world is our home, then it's fitting to build our kingdoms here. Build up our storehouses. Grow familiar with the security that money brings. We grow so familiar with that security that we eventually say, Who is the Lord? We're more familiar with our money than we are with the Lord. So church, there is a war raging in our hearts. There was a war raging in Agar's heart. Before he died, he asked the Lord for two things. Again, if you ask me honestly, I probably wouldn't have said these two things. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Sorry, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Then give me poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. This war has the three battle fronts. The battle to believe truth over lies. The battle to trust in God over self. The battle to live for eternity rather than this world. So if these are our battle fronts, and they truly are in our hearts, where are we to find help and rest and rescue? Two, three, three thoughts here um, as we think of what this means for us. Three thoughts here. Number one, lean upon the strength of Jesus Christ. Lean upon the strength of Jesus Christ. May we learn how to be content with where the Lord has sovereignly placed us and with what he has given to us. Paul says in Philippians 4, 12-13 that he needs to learn how to abound. And not just to suffer want. Paul says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me.
all things through him who strengthens me. Lean upon the strength of Jesus Christ because we do need to learn. We need his strength to abound in the right ways. We might think that we naturally handle prosperity well. It's just second nature to me. It's, it's the other end. that it's the, it's the suffering want. That's what I need help in. That's not what Paul says. We need to learn contentment in where God has placed us, whether that be in need or abounding. So lean upon the strength of Jesus Christ. The second point here, reflect the generous heart of Jesus for you. Reflect the generous heart of Jesus for you. If we believe that this world is not our home, that we're just a passing through, and that eternity is real and worth investing in, then I think that changes things. That changes what we do with our money. Then I think our lives will reflect the generosity of Jesus Christ to us. I wonder if by our generosity the world might say, whew, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life like that. Man, those people are giving away so much money. What are they thinking? As Randy Alcorn would say, we're sending it on ahead. We're investing in heaven. So reflect the generous heart of Jesus. And then, lastly, remember that Jesus has won the victory. Okay? Though the war rages on in our hearts, the war between the flesh and and the Spirit, we can be assured because of God's faithfulness and grace that our Savior, our warrior King, has won our victory. He took our sins, every failure, and He made them His own when He shed His blood on Calvary. Our greatest need has been taken care of through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We now have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The battle, the war is raging in our hearts. But Jesus Christ is our victory king. Our sin has been defeated. We stand forgiven, loved, clothed in his perfection. If you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, brother and sister, your sins are forgiven. Remember, through every battle of the heart and every storm of life, Jesus truly is our victory. And he invites you now to come to him. This truly is a come to Jesus sermon. Come to Jesus Do you feel far away from the Lord right now? Is Jesus small 
in your life? Maybe he's small because you know you have held him out at arm's length while you enjoy the good gifts he gives. Maybe you feel the Spirit of God pricking at your heart even now that that is true. Come to the Lord. Come to Jesus. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. The invitation never stops. You can turn right where you are and head head first into the arms of your Savior. The battle is raging, but Jesus has won the war. The victory is sure. We're secure in him. The Lord longs to nourish and strengthen his people. All who are weak and weary, all who are burdened with guilt and shame, all who have who know they've mishandled their money and have forgotten the Lord. I love what Isaiah thirty eighteen says. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. He rises to show mercy to you. He's not waiting for you to get it all together and to reorder your finances perfectly. He's waiting to be gracious to you. He's waiting to pour out mercy in your life. If I could invite those who are serving the elements of the Lord's Supper to come together.